Let me invite you to open in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 with me. During this Advent season, as we've, we've heard in our call to worship and the lighting of the Advent candles every week, we, we remember in this time, we, we concentrate our attention on this idea that our God is a God who comes near to us, who draws near to us, who reveals himself, who sends his word to his people. And of course, uh, most powerfully that is in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, in the birth of God made flesh. But we also believe that that the presence of Christ, the living word of Christ, continues to come to us as God's people, continues to to guide us and direct us, and that in this season we want to be listening for the word of God, to be opening our hearts to the word of God, to be receptive to God's word coming to us. And throughout this past month, we've been looking at particularly Mary's story in this this Advent time, and how as the Word of God comes to Mary, she she opens her heart, she opens her life, she opens her plans to what God is preparing for her and and even in her. She's receiving and, and responding to God's Word. And that, in her case, presents it, it, uh, it God's word is, is, is coming to her and presents her with a significant choice, a significant decision. And I, I wonder if, as, as we evaluate God's coming into our lives, God's presence, God's leading, if we aren't also faced with significant decisions, big decisions, sometimes hard decisions, decisions where we don't always have all the information, all the details of what's going to happen, how things might come off. I want you to maybe think back to the last time you were facing a significant decision. Maybe you were weighing your your career. Maybe you were weighing a, a job decision about whether to take this path or that path whether to to stick with what you know and what what you have now or or whether to pursue something new and different. Maybe you were faced with a significant health decision for yourself or for a family member that you love and not not knowing which course of action to take or, or how, if you took this particular road, you would make it through, how you would get all the things that were needed to carry you through. Maybe you've considered making a major decision in terms of of offering your service or your help to someone or in some way that you sense God calling you to, but you're not sure where the the time or the resources needed to do that would would come from. All of us face significant decisions. And again, it's, it's particularly difficult to make those decisions when we when we don't know the future, when we don't have all the details. Because most of us like that sense of control, of of being in charge of our future. I think for many of us, one of the biggest decisions that we can make in our lives is the choice to have offspring 
to have children. Can't think of a, a more profound change that when, when someone comes into your life and now depends upon you for everything, right? For every need to make choices for them, right? To walk with them through the many years ahead, right? It's, it's impossible if you become a parent to predict how that's going to turn out, how that relationship is going to look, right? There are a million variables to raising children that no parent can predict ahead of time. But once you say yes, right, you're, you're in. You're in for the long haul. There's no turning back. We're, we're looking at Luke's account, uh, Luke's gospel, and his retelling of the Christmas story. And we see in, in Luke's account, in particular, an emphasis on, on Mary and her decision to participate with God, to make herself available to, to parent God's Messiah, to bear the life of Jesus within her, and then to bring that life forth and to walk with Jesus in the years ahead. And we talked about at the beginning of Advent how, how Mary prays with trusting faith at the beginning of that journey. When, when Gabriel comes to her, and he announces to Mary what God has designed and intended. Mary's prayer is, let your word to me be fulfilled. We talked about this being Mary's prayer of participation. Lord, I'm willing. Luke chooses to focus on Mary, but if you were to read Matthew's account of the Christmas story, he spends more time with Joseph. And we also see in Joseph's story a kind of trusting faith that comes forth as well. His own prayer of participation. Where after some concern about learning that Mary is pregnant and not understanding how this could be the case, right? Joseph is given his own angelic visitation in a dream. And he too chooses to commit to the pathway God has prepared. Right? He chooses to take Mary to be his wife. Right? despite whatever scandal or, or, or shame it brings upon his name and reputation. And so both Joseph and Mary commit themselves. They commit themselves to this big decision to become parents together. Parents in the way that God is preparing for them. But I'm sure that they had many unanswered questions about how this was going to happen. What would be the case? How all of the details are going to work out? Right? It's clear from the very beginning of this story that they are not in charge. They are not in control of their own future. But today, as we look at the opening verses of chapter 2 in Luke, as Mary and Joseph now set out in faith together toward Bethlehem, and I want us to see how how God meets them in their prayers of participation, how God meets them in their trusting faith, and how God provides and participates with them in the journey ahead, right? how he goes before them to prepare what is needed when it's needed. So if you open with me to Luke 2, let me pray for us as we look into God's word together. 
Lord Jesus, we believe you have come to the earth to make the invisible God visible, to make the word of God present and tangible. As John the Apostle would say, that we could see it, we could touch it, we could testify to who you are and what you're like. Lord, we thank you that you care for us, that when you call us to follow you, you go with us. And I pray we would, we would have eyes to see that, ears to hear that in your word for us this morning. May the words of my mouth as I teach, may, may all of our hearts as we hear these words, may they be pleasing in your sight. In your name we pray. Amen. This is Luke 2, verses 1 through 3. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. I think Luke starts out the, the Christmas story in this way because he wants to assure us that the birth of Jesus is no fairy tale. Right? It, it happened in the real world. It's connected to real events, to real history. He doesn't give us the exact date of, of this unfolding. We don't know exactly when this census was taken, but we do know from the historical record that Rome routinely did this sort of thing throughout the empire. They routinely ordered people to, to report to Caesar for the purposes of taxation, sometimes for the purposes of conscription to be part of the military, though Israel had a special exemption in that respect but probably most of all to, to sort of remind the far-flung corners of the empire that Caesar was in charge, right? What Caesar says goes. And, and to, to sort of reaffirm their loyalty to Caesar in the empire in this census-taking. Again, we don't know the exact date, but a reasonable guess suggests that this may have been around 6 B.C. when, when Israel was ordered to do this. And if that's the case, over a period of months, then anyone with property, anyone who could be taxed, needed to travel, Luke says, back to their hometown so that they could register with the Romans. And you can imagine that the hassle that's involved in that journey. Right? We stress about traveling around the holidays, right? getting on the roads, going through airports, it's stressful to try to travel when everyone else in, in your place is traveling at the same time. But I think, you know, what, what we should imagine here is, is beyond a busy airport or a crowded highway, right? This would be next level stress. Right? For, for Joseph, this trip back to, to Bethlehem probably meant significant planning on his part, probably meant uh, figuring out how to pay for lodging and food along the way. It likely meant a loss of income for him because he would have to leave behind his work as a carpenter in Nazareth. 
And on top of all that, he would have to deal with all the bureaucracies that, that came with interactions in the Roman world, right? Joseph and his people were on the wrong side of the empire. All of that makes it seem like this is pretty inconvenient timing, right? Not a whole lot of fun. All thanks to this word, this decree from King Caesar. What's curious to me, though, and to many commentators on, on these verses, is why Joseph chooses to pull Mary into this trip. Right? Stressful travel and third trimester pregnancy don't go together very well, right? Most historians agree that Mary probably didn't have to be part of the census taking. She wouldn't have had to go with Joseph to Bethlehem. She could have stayed back in Nazareth. But I think Luke's gospel is hinting that there's, there's more going on behind the scenes here. There's more at work than just appeasing the, the whims of King Caesar. Luke wants us to understand that the providence of God's kingdom is also at work in this story. And God is, is preparing and providing and supporting the plan that he has already decreed through Gabriel for the birth of King Jesus, not King Caesar. For the good news of Jesus, not the gospel of Caesar. And so I think there are actually two reasons for us to read these verses, not as an inconvenient trip to Bethlehem, but maybe a providential trip to Bethlehem that came at, at just the right time for Mary and Joseph. One, one reason is that it brings them into Bethlehem, the ancestral village of King David, at precisely the moment that they can fulfill what the scriptures have recorded about the birthplace of Israel's Messiah. Right? Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. There's a bigger plan God is arranging things. He's preparing things. But secondly, going to Bethlehem, by including Mary in this journey for the final weeks, maybe even for the final month or two of Mary's pregnancy, it takes Joseph and Mary away from Nazareth. And likely away from the shame and the judgment that would have come upon her there. Right? Bethlehem may have been just the refuge this couple needed. As commentator Leon Morris puts it, he says, the combination of a decree by an emperor in distant Rome, along with the gossiping tongues of Nazareth, both of these things bring Mary to Bethlehem at just the right time to fulfill the prophecy about the birthplace of Christ. Morris says, God works through all kinds of people to effect purposes. So I think we can see in this journey God's providence 
that Mary and Joseph take the road to Bethlehem together. Right? They are, are trusting God to lead them, and God is faithfully going before them. Let's see how that story continues in verse 4 through 7. Can you um, move the slide ahead for me, Sam? It says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. We've all heard this bit of the story numerous times. We've, we've seen it in numerous Christmas pageants and, and films on TV. And, and typically the way it's presented to us is that after traveling all this way, right, Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem at just the last moment. And they are shown to a kind of isolated, undesirable, stinky barn, and they have baby Jesus all alone. Right? That's, that's the way it's often presented, right? A, a kind of indignity to these, these two young parents who are trying to follow God's leading. And while that's maybe one possible way to read these verses, I wonder if what we actually are reading here, what Luke intends us to see, is not instead a story of God's provision. I see God leading Mary and Joseph right, to a simple but hospitable home in Bethlehem, providing them with a kind of surrogate family to surround them at a very stressful point in their lives. I frequently have referenced the scholarship of Kenneth Bailey. He is a New Testament scholar. He's an expert on Luke's gospel in particular. And he also has a special eye for the cultural backgrounds of the Near East. In his book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, he gives what I think are several compelling reasons for reimagining our picture of Jesus in the manger. Bailey says, first of all, nothing in the text here suggests that Mary pulls into Bethlehem, you know, right as the contractions are starting, that they have to rush to find a suitable lodging to deliver the baby. If you look at verse 6, the language of verse 6 actually sounds much more like they were in Bethlehem for a period of time preceding this, probably days, maybe weeks, possibly even more than a month before Jesus is born. If they weren't in a rush to find a place, then we also have reason to believe that they would have been shown some measure of hospitality because both Mary and Joseph have connections in Judea. Right? Just before this, in Luke chapter 1, just a few months before this journey, Mary has already been in Judea visiting Elizabeth and Zechariah in a nearby village, right? So they could have gone there if they truly were desperate and needed a place. We also know from both Gospels, Matthew and Luke, 
that Joseph is of royal lineage. He can trace his ancestry back to King David himself, which is a big deal in the ancient world. Right? That would have opened doors for him in a place like Bethlehem. Third, Kenneth Bailey says, pregnant women in every culture, right, regardless of their circumstance, are given special attention, special welcome, especially in a rural town like Bethlehem. And so we assume the same would apply to Mary, whatever her circumstance. With all of that in mind, then, in all likelihood, Mary and Joseph are not you know, ushered into a barn out in the countryside, but likely taken into a family's own home. But given the, the crowded conditions that were created by this census taking by all of the, the movement of people, Luke says that, that the guest room in this home and likely in most homes in the village had already been filled with other guests. Right? You can see a diagram here of a, a typical ancient Near Eastern home one that we might have encountered in a place like Bethlehem. You can see there's a, a designated guest room, which is now full. But this family, whoever it was, offered Mary and Joseph what they had, which was probably the space attached to their own living quarters, just to the front of, of where the family slept together. And it was where the family's livestock were usually stabled overnight for, for safekeeping, and to generate warmth inside the home. And while I'm sure these accommodations aren't luxurious, there's a simplicity to them. I think Luke is telling us God provides Mary and Joseph with what they needed, right? A safe, hospitable home in which to welcome the Savior of the world, right? A child who was turning their lives upside down. I think that should encourage us in two ways. First, that God provides for the stranger, right? God provides for us when we are far from home or when we are following him bravely into the plans he has called us into. That God arranges things to care for us, to remind us that he loves us and sees us. And second, that, that we might also be called to be those people open their homes to the people God sends our way, right? to foster a, a sense of welcome and belonging to the vulnerable. What do, we, what do we do with Mary and Joseph's story, you and I? How do we apply these ideas to our own situation? Well, I hope we can see that, that in the way that God goes with them, goes before them, that God is a God who provides for his people, would also give us confidence right, to keep listening for God's word to us, for how God is working with us and in us. As we are making decisions, big or small, right, God goes with us. Over this Advent season, I've been encouraging you to, to listen to whether God might be sending a particular word to you as you think about the year ahead. Maybe that's a, a passage of scripture. 
Maybe that's a door that seems to be opening, an opportunity that God is putting before you. Maybe it's, it's a difficult and challenging circumstance that's, that's before you. But you sense God speaking to you, preparing you for that. How could you continue to listen but also trust the direction God might be leading you? Next Sunday when we're together, I'm actually going to give you some space and time in our worship service to to listen for that further and actually maybe to write some of that down, to reflect on that and to carry that with us into the new year. But today, as we prepare to welcome the Christ child, may we know that we follow a God who provides what is needed for his people when it's needed. Because he loves us. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you come to us again and again. You come when we're listening, and you continue to come and knock on our door even when we have ignored your invitation. Lord, would you draw our hearts close to you? Would you make us warm? Would you make us hospitable? Would you make us welcoming to the arrival of your presence? In your name we pray.